It is good to see all of you out this morning. We are glad that you are here. Our lesson for today, we are getting into the books of Judges and Ruth, and they are, are kind of put together because uh, they're in the same time period. However, we're not going to get to Ruth today. We'll, we'll only get about halfway through, but we'll touch on it a little bit. I'm not going to go deep into Ruth because we're studying it on Sunday morning also uh, for our Bible study. But uh, we will get into a little bit of Ruth as, as well as Judges. Judges is a very interesting book, and there are actually a, a couple of themes to Judges. We find that Judges continues the story of Israel following the life and the book of Joshua. So following the days of Joshua, we had this continuation of the story of Israel. I mentioned that there are two themes to the book of Judges, one being defeat and disgrace. It is considered the dark ages of Israel because of their continued turning away from God and deserting Him for the gods of nations around them. A lot of times what would happen when someone would, would get to serving other gods and, and get into the sin of idolatry, it was often because of the nations. They would come into, especially with Israel, they would come into these other nations, these other lands. And instead of driving the people out, they would allow them to live among them. And often they would take upon them the service of their gods rather than serving the God of heaven, the God that had actually provided for Israel all along. So it is a book of defeat and disgrace for that reason. But before we throw it out, before we uh, think of Judges as something that we can forget, a time period that maybe we need to forget, there are lessons to be learned. And there is a bit of positivity in the book as well as we see this as a book not only of defeat and disgrace, but also a book of deliverance. God, throughout the years that Judges covers, He would provide a judge, or we could also term Him as a deliverer for His people. And so we have judges that arose to deliver them from their enemies. So when God's people were oppressed, we still see God's care for them, that God still loves them. And God is still taking care of them. In all, there are 12 judges that are provided for Israel in the span of about 250 years. From the death of Joshua to the rise of Saul as king of Israel. And as we look at our, our brief outline for this lesson, we have the apostasy, chapters 1 one, one, chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2 and verse 5. We also have the period of the Judges, chapters 2 and verse 6 through chapter 16. And we have the appendices, chapters 17 through 21. And then we'll uh, again spend a, a brief time on the book of Ruth. 
Today we're only going to get through a, a portion of this lesson, but we'll begin looking at the apostasy. You have your Bibles, and I pray that you do. Uh, turn to the book of Judges, chapter 1. Judges, chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 1. Even after Joshua's death, much of the promised land, Canaan, had not yet been conquered. And so there's a period here uh, where they are going into the promised land. They're there, but they still haven't conquered all the peoples. And so in Judges chapter 1 and verse 1, we read this. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. So the first several verses of the first chapter tell of certain tribes, some helping their brethren conquering certain lands. However, Israel was not fully obedient to God's command to drive out the inhabitants of these enemy nations. And so we come to verse 27 of Judges 1. Verse 27. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or Tanak and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. For the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass, when Israel was strong, that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, or the inhabitants of Nehalol. So the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. The inhabitants who were allowed to stay with Israel in these lands were put under tribute to Israel, which was a common practice when a nation would take over a nation. We see it uh, in the captivity of Israel as well later on. But we see that they would put them under tribute. And so it was with Asher and the inhabitants of Acho and Sidon, among others. Verses 31 and 32. And so it was with Naphtali and the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath. Verse 33. And we come to the end of the chapter in verses 34 and 35. Judges 1, verse 34. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites, who determined to dwell in Mount Heres, in Ajalon, and in Shelbim, yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. Now as I say these names, I'm probably not pronouncing them right, but like I was telling Rosie earlier, if you say them with confidence, nobody knows any difference. But uh, anyway, we find again that they were put under tribute. Now, why had God commanded that they drive out these nations completely? 
Why did he want them to drive these people from them? Why was he so adamant about that? So that Israel would not learn their works of idolatry and sin, which would turn them away from God. God told them to drive out these nations, to destroy these nations, to completely conquer them, the same way with Jericho that we read about not too long ago. God wanted them to destroy these nations and and to drive them out because God didn't want them living among them. Because if they lived among them, they would learn from them. They would learn from them serving other gods. They would learn not to serve the God of heaven, but to serve gods, man-made gods. We're reminded in Exodus chapter 20 and looking at the Ten Commandments in verses 3 through 5. The first of the commandments were, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. First of all, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't place anything ahead of me or anyone ahead of me. You shall have no other gods. And not only shall you have no other gods, but you shall not make for yourselves any other gods. Of course, Israel had a a, a problem because of what they had learned from nations, partly to worship carved images and idols of that nature. Do we have idols today? That's a good question. No, we don't bow down to golden calves and things of that nature today. But do we have idols? Absolutely. There are other gods or, or things that we would make other gods that we would place before God, that we would make even before God. We are just as prone to the sin of idolatry today, if not more so, than Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 16 through 18, God is telling Moses that they are going to do this. God knows that they're going to do this. Beginning with verse 16 of Deuteronomy 31. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land, where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day. And I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, and that they have turned to other gods. God told Moses before, there's going to be a time where Israel is not going to to completely serve me as they should. They're going to go into these, uh, to serving these other gods, the gods of the foreigners of the land. They will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made with them. 
And we talked about in our Bible class this morning about uh, a little bit about Noah and the flood. We mentioned that, that God destroyed the world with the flood and yet He saved Noah. He saved Noah from the wickedness of the world, from being uh, too tempted by it so that he might give in. He saved him by the water. As Peter mentions in 1 Peter chapter 3. Why? Why did God not just completely destroy the world? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, in a sense, Israel did too. Israel found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And even in a time where they turned away from God. There was also going to be each time a time where they would turn back and recognize God and ask Him for help. And what would He do? He would help them. God never completely destroyed Israel. Even when they turned away, even when they went into captivity, God eventually allowed them to return. Maybe generations later. But God cared for His people. He loved them. He took care of them. Israel allowed these foreign nations to dwell in the land with them. They were turned away from God as had been foretold. And there were consequences of their sin. Because of Israel's sin, we read in Judges chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bosham and said... I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Boshem and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. Because they didn't drive out the nations as they had been commanded... God also didn't drive out those nations from before them. I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Because Israel had failed in complete obedience of God's commands, their enemy nations would continue to dwell among them and it would be a pain to them. They would be a discomfort to them. Thorns in their sides. But we move on and we come into the period of the judges in chapters 2. Beginning with chapter 2 and verse 6 and, and going through chapter 16. We're not going through all of this today. Uh, we're going to get to a point. We'll stop. And then we'll pick up there next week, Lord willing. 
But in Judges chapter 2, beginning with verse 7. Judges 2 and verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Hereth, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. The people, while they had a reminder, they served the Lord while Joshua lived. And even in the days of the elders who lived after him, Joshua prepared them to serve God. He encouraged them to serve God. We remember how Joshua ends and and Joshua tells them, you can do what you want to, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was a great leader. And as they served in the days of Moses, so they did in the days of Joshua. They served the Lord faithfully. However, it wasn't long before they forgot God and all that He had done for His people. Israel as a whole seems to be a very forgetful nation. Remember, whenever they crossed the Red Sea, it wasn't long after they crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground and they were delivered from their enemies, the Egyptians who had held them captive for so long. They complained. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We have nothing to eat or drink. They forgot what God had done for them. God caused the the, the waters to part so that they could walk through on dry ground. And yet they were worried about what they were going to eat and drink. They soon forgot God. Everything that he had done for his people, the the stories that they were supposed to be telling their children, that they were supposed to be reminding their children of how God had taken care of them so many times. Yet they forgot. And so begins a cycle of continual rebellion and deliverance. Rebellion and deliverance. And deliverance. In chapter 2 and verse 11. Judges chapter 2 verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. Who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods. From among the gods of the people. Who were all around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. having compassion on His people when they were oppressed by their enemies, God would raise up judges or deliverers to deliver His people from the hand of their enemies. 
verse 16 of Judges 2. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges. But they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. Verse 18, And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. The Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they would they would that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel whether they will keep the ways of the Lord, to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Because the people did not drive these nations out from among them, neither did God. However, when the people turned to him for deliverance, God would deliver them through the hands of these judges. He did not forsake his people, nor allow them to be completely destroyed by their enemies. In chapter 3, we see that the nations dwell among them. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left, that he might test Israel by them, to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their God. It was almost tradition that, that if there was another nation that was close by that was um, in some way related to Israel, that in close proximity they would share sons and daughters in marriage. And so they would intermingle with these nations and Israel started to become more like the other nations than they did like God's people. They were tested by them. Israel was tested by these other nations. And so, they would fall into the hands of these other nations. They would begin to be oppressed. And then they would turn to God. 
And so often it is that, that us, even as a nation, and as we look at, at our history, when is it that we turn to God in time of oppression, in time of need? You might be able to see it in your personal life that, that we often do that as well as individuals. Sometimes it is that, that we fail to turn to God until we truly need Him. That's exactly what Israel did. And so whenever they needed God, they would call out to Him and He would send a deliverer. And so we have the first judge. In chapter 3, Judges chapter 3 and verse 7, we have Othniel. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishtham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. I don't think I've said that the same way any of those times. But anyway, king of Mesopotamia into his hand and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim, that said the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. What I want you to remember from this first judge is Othniel was of the tribe of Judah and he judged Israel for a period of 40 years. After Israel was delivered, the land had rest. A period of faithfulness, to some degree at least. After 40 years, however, Israel returned to their former ways of disobedience. And so we have the, the, the beginnings of this cycle. We have a second judge that is raised up from them. In Judges 3, beginning with verse 12, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek went out, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. We won't go into the, the whole story. I'll let you do that on your own time if you would like. I would encourage you to do so. Some of these stories are very interesting. But the, the left-handedness that comes into play in Ehud's story and how he delivered Israel. Ehud of the tribe of Benjamin judged Israel for a period of 80 years. Then we have other judges that follow him as well. Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, 
Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. Some of those names you're familiar with. Some of those you are probably not. Some of those only have brief mention in the book of Judges. But each one was an important deliverer, was an important judge. And in the time of the judges, Israel was faithful. And when those judges would die, then Israel would go into unfaithfulness once again. They would cry out to the Lord. The Lord would send another to deliver them from the hand of their enemies. I do want us to spend a little bit more time with some of the the more well-known judges, but we'll save those for next week, Lord willing. But I would like to to take a closer look at Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. Those are some of the the bigger names that we have among the judges and, and I think worthy of our time. What we learn from judges, from the book, from God's deliverance of his people, is the importance of faithfulness. Israel was not always faithful and they faced consequences for their unfaithfulness. Though God would send judges to help and deliver Israel from the oppression of their enemy. He allowed, as Israel had done, the nations to remain among the people of Israel. And through these other nations, Israel was continually tested and often they turned away from God. Israel ultimately suffered the consequences of their actions. And so do we. When we sin against God, when we turn away from God, we too are going to face the consequences of our actions. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care for us. With the the judges, with, with the people of Israel, in the time of the judges, God was teaching them a lesson. A lesson that they continually forgot and and forgot to share with their children. But God was teaching them a lesson. He was teaching them that they needed Him. That they needed to serve Him faithfully. He allowed them to face the consequences of their actions so that they would learn faithfulness. And it was a lesson they continually struggled with throughout their existence. And often that's the way it is with us. Just because we face consequences of our actions, we're going to make wrong choices. We're going to make bad choices. Red choices as we call them in preschool. But we're going to make those choices. And when we do, we need to learn. Just as like we would teach children. You know, we think of how we teach children. And... I've had some of the greatest experiences in comparing that with preschool. We try to teach them. We allow them sometimes to suffer the consequences of their actions so that they will learn a lesson. I remember I had a, a, an elder that, that taught one of our classes somewhere about 5th and 6th grade. And I remember him teaching that class and he said one of the, the greatest lessons one time you know, there was, a, I believe it was a, either a flame or the hot eye of a stove. 
that, that he touched. He had been continually told, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. But you know when he learned that lesson? was when he touched it and it hurt. He had to learn from the consequences of his actions. Sometimes that's what we do. It's, it's not a matter of us just not listening. Some, well, I guess it is a matter of us not listening. But sometimes we're allowed to face those consequences so that we learn from our mistakes. And it's only when we face those consequences that we learn from our mistakes. For instance, an individual serving a prison sentence, maybe for murder, just because he may turn to God and ask for forgiveness, he can be forgiven by God, but he's still going to suffer the consequences of his actions. And sometimes we suffer the consequences of others' actions. A drunk driver, for instance, gets into a wreck and either injures or, or even kills someone or maybe a family. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of others' actions. God doesn't take away the consequences. He never promised to. He never promised that, that our way in this life would be easy. But as he was with Israel, so he is with us today. Let's not turn away from him because we're facing the consequences of our choices or maybe the choices of others. Let's draw closer to God, knowing that he is with us, that he guides us through our trials, that he's with us in our suffering. We're not alone. We're never alone. God still loves us. Just as he loved Israel. He allowed them to suffer. So that they would learn. But he still loved them. He still cared for them. And he still provided the judges for them. To deliver them from their enemies. And let's remember that our sufferings in this life are not forever. We live on earth and, and we get attached to things on earth, don't we? We get attached to our homes, to our cars, to our jobs, to our lives. We get attached to many things here on earth. But this is not our home. This is not forever. There's something even greater than anything we've ever known in this life that awaits us if we remain faithful. God is teaching us that lesson as we study Israel and the history of Israel. He teaches us that lesson in our personal lives as well. We have the promise of a forever home in heaven with God. And we have that promise through His Son. See, God sent His only Son to die for the sins of all who are willing to obey Him, to submit themselves to Him. When we turned to God for deliverance, and we did, we became Christians. 
There was a time where we, just like Israel, turned to God for deliverance. And He had already provided for our deliverance through Jesus. He sent Him to this earth, to live, to teach, to, to minister to the people that He was around. They put Him on a cross. They crucified our Lord But it served a purpose. He wasn't defeated in crucifixion. He didn't remain dead. Unlike the people sometimes that some people will serve, such as Buddha and others that, that were of great significance and they did great things, had some great ideas. But they're all dead. They still worship these people who are now dead. You can find their tombs. And they'll go to their tombs and worship them there. We can't do that with Jesus. We can't go to the tomb and worship Him there because He's not there. So our Lord lives. He is victorious over death. He was resurrected the third day he was ascended into heaven and there he is preparing for us a home. As he tells us in John 14. Through Christ we are promised a home in heaven. To be with him eternally. Heaven is much greater than even the luxuries of this life. We don't search for the riches and things of that nature that the world can provide. But we search for a greater treasure, one that it will last forever. It will never be destroyed. It will never rot away. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. It's something that lasts. That's what I'm looking for. Not anything in this life. It doesn't matter if you own a, a home or not. Because eventually, all of it's going to go away. But our home is not here on earth, it's in heaven. God provided His Son to deliver us from our sins. And so we are delivered from our sins. If we recognize what Jesus did and His death on the cross and what that means to us, then we are delivered from our sins if we obey. The Jews on the day of Pentecost asked, What shall we do? And Peter told them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That was what they were to do in order to be saved. And it's the same thing that we must do today in order for us to be saved. Repent. Be baptized for the remission of your sin. And when we obey, we become a part of the kingdom, a part of the Lord's church. And that inheritance that is promised through Christ is now attainable for us. But we must live faithfully. Israel failed in their faithfulness. They, they were God's children and yet they failed to remain faithful. We cannot fail in our faithfulness. Or we'll lose that eternity, that, that reward that awaits us. So we must be obedient, but we also must remain faithful. 
I don't know what need you might have today. Maybe it is that you need to come in obedience. Maybe you need to come in repentance. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Whatever your need is today, though, know that if you need deliverance, that God can provide deliverance. He has provided deliverance. But you must do something also. And so, if you need to come, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, if there is some way that we can, can help you, spiritually speaking, then allow us to do that. Please come. Together we stand and as we stand. Oh,